I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. This week, we're doing 10 questions with someone in recovery, and that someone in recovery is Christy Booth, who lives in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. So, Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I'm, I'm now a freelance um, recovery advocate. Uh, so, um, I'm a person in long-term recovery, and what that means for me is that I haven't used or abused uh, any kind of substances since November 23rd, 2013. So I got a, a sobriety birthday coming up. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. And happy soon-to-be birthday. I, I believe in saying that before people. There's those people who are like, oh, don't yeah. sandbag. And I'm always like, you know what? Right. I'm pretty confident in my recovery. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I can tell, you know, I, I don't really worry about that relapse it doesn't hang over my shoulder instead I'm focused more on recovery and the positive things I can do today instead right. of the fear right I think that a lot of people have so our first question for you today is why did you start using to begin with um well I don't know looking at looking back at my life uh I think the question would be like why wouldn't I use um my family I have a family history of it um I experienced lots of trauma as a child. Um, I was sexually molested from the age three to 11. Um, I was raped at 13. And uh, whenever I started using, um, for me, it felt normal. You know, Um, they actually, my my family uh, were more alcoholics and they called me the little alcoholic. And I knew at a very young age, alcohol uh got rid of that fear or whatever it was that made me feel uncomfortable all the time so how old were you when you began using when i began using i was actually i was older so i was i was like 17 18 uh i started drinking like i you know as a child little sips and stuff but um actively drinking at age 12 yeah Okay, so were you like given sips, or were you kind of groomed to drink? Uh, I was given sips. I would, uh, and then I would sneak them. You know, after I found out that it made me feel, you know, stronger and, uh, you know, uh, less shy and less scared. Really, yeah. So you said your drinking really began at twelve. Yeah, like my my, I I went out to purposely drink. Okay. Yeah. And then you were saying the other drugs didn't kick in until 17. Yeah, okay. I had I was uh, in DFS system, uh, aged out of that. Um, and whenever I got my apartment on my own, um, I started uh, using marijuana and then LSD. Yeah. It's funny how we separate those. There's this uh, social acceptance, I think, that comes with alcohol. Yeah. That sometimes we draw that line and we're like, oh, well, I started this, but I didn't really start drugs. Yeah. But, at the end of the day, all, I mean, 
and not only is alcohol it's all a chemical drug mm-hmm. i mean it, let's see last year i think drugs killed about 68,000 people in the united states and alcohol killed about 88,000 right and you don't hear that on the news you know because it is socially acceptable i mean it was socially acceptable for my parents to give me sips of you know alcohol so. absolutely so what made you decide to stop uh well I was gonna die. I mean, I was um, at at the time that I quit uh, in 2003. That's when my recovery journey started. Um, um, I was uh, IV using fentanyl at that time. It was uh, in patches, and I have rheumatoid arthritis. Had it since I was three, uh, so I could very easily get any kind of pain medication. Um, but uh, a few times I picked myself up off the floor and um, I mean, I have no other thought than I overdosed. Um, and I just, I, for me, I had a moment of clarity and uh, I, I didn't want to die. And I said it out loud and this, I don't, this knowing, this voice, it wasn't really a voice, but it said, if you keep doing this, you are going to die. And um and that's, I said, I don't want to die. And uh, I had been through probation and parole and um, have went through, been forced into many treatment centers. So whenever I got to that point, I knew who to call. And I picked up the phone and I called the treatment center that I had been to and um, checked myself in. And did it cost forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a month? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's amazing. I think that there's this belief by some people and there's a lot of... Uh, marketers out there that push Mm -hmm. you know that you have to go to these places in like florida and california and you know um they've got these huge uh social media presences and they sit there and they funnel people into uh these treatment centers and the truth is i think that as long as the place is using evidence-based treatment and has the ability to work Mm -hmm. you know um like do they work with co-occurring if you have co-occurring? Is it a place that maybe uh, right. has people who know how to do uh, EMDR if you yeah. have a lot of intense trauma? It checks trauma. all the boxes. Yeah, yeah, for what you need. Yeah. I, I don't think it has to be a place that's going to cost you forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a no. month. No, not at all. I think you, you find what you're looking for, you know. Absolutely. So what does recovery mean to you? Uh for me, it means being able to live authentically um, and, and to live to my fullest potential. Um, whenever I was in my active use, I was, you know, nowhere near living to my, I mean, I was just con- concentrated on using. Um, so, and I couldn't do anything else. So for me, recovery means being able to, to uh, set goals and accomplish them and um, to have integrity and, you know, to be a kind person and to be of service to others. I like that definition. I like authentic speaks to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think authentic and intentional are two of my favorite words. Yeah. I don't use them nearly enough. Yeah, I like intention. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I always talk to parents and I'm like, you need to have intentional conversations with your kids. Right. You know, if you're worried about something, especially like substance use, mental health, mm-hmm. those types of things, be intentional in those conversations. Yeah. 
you know, I think it's the same way whenever we meet with people. So, so thank you for authentic because I need to use that word more and you used it on the podcast. Yeah. Appreciate it. (laughs) So what were the things that got you into recovery to begin with? I mean, uh, well, I didn't want to die. Um, it's a good reason. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I didn't know there was a whole nother life out there. You know, like I said, I aged out of the DFS system. So clearly I came from a very dysfunctional family and, um, I I was surviving. Like I knew how to survive really, really well. I didn't know how to live. And, um, and I met people in and around the tables of mutual support groups that were living and that were laughing and, you know, uh, having fun. And that's what I wanted, you know. And I remember I was at a meeting one time and they were laughing about something and I got so mad because I was like, this is serious. I'm going to die if I don't get this. (laughs) (laughs) And now I get it, you know. I get, you know, you you learn how to live and you you get a little farther away from that fear, I'm going to die, you know, like we were talking, like you were talking about. Yeah, uh, I was going to say something in because my mind just runs down rabbit trails. I know, my mind <clears> I completely yeah. forgot what I was going to say. But I do like that part about surrounding ourselves with positive, positive people learning to live again. Yeah. And I'm sure the other thing will come back to me while you're in the middle of talking. <laughs> Probably. And then I'll forget it by the time yeah. that you're done talking again. So, um in early recovery, what helped you maintain your sobriety the most? Like, was there one thing that you were like, man, this is the one thing that I held on to? Well, I mean, my recovery, like, it really started in 2003. And that's um, that's when I stopped living the criminal lifestyle. And um, so I haven't used an illegal substance since 2003. Um, I relapsed in 2011 uh, on pain medication. And I may have, I, there may have been another before even that. Um, but because I, you know, I was taught complete abstinence. And even though I had a, a chronic, like painful uh, disorder, you know, I still felt guilty and like I was doing something wrong. And I, I kept it a secret and I hid it. Um, and and that's, that's where I learned about being authentic. Like, if you can't have that authenticity and you can't be honest, then, like, you, um, it's like a slow spiritual death. Like, you're not, you're not able to fully live because you have this whole thing that you're trying to keep under wraps. So, um, uh, so 2013, um, is when I came back into the program, uh, so I forgot what the question was. <laughs> I went down a rabbit hole there. Hey, good. Yeah. Then I'm not the only one. Hmm. So I, it was uh, what helped you maintain your sobriety? The most? Oh, okay. So, I mean, you know, meetings for me and uh, surrounding myself with people who were, were living life and that were doing, uh, you know, doing things to better themselves. So it's funny that you bring up the chronic, well, maybe not funny, but I think it's timely that you bring up the chronic pain thing uh, because I do think that there, for some people, is still this belief that, you know, you can't manage those things. And there's actually literature out there that talks about it Mm -hmm. within the 12-step community, whether it's AA where they talk about you shouldn't play doctor if somebody's going to their doctor taking their medication as prescribed. Yes. Or... 
even NA literature agrees on that it, it, when people are using that medication as prescribed for pain. Mm -hmm. Because the scary thing is, you know, if somebody has undertreated or untreated chronic pain, they're infinitely more likely. I've seen studies of anywhere from three to five times more likely to die by suicide mm -hmm. than somebody who has adequately treated pain. Because think of that hopelessness with the substance use, wherever you felt like you'd never be able to escape. Yeah. Now imagine if that was chronic, constant pain, like what you deal right. with every single day. Right. Knowing that you couldn't treat it. Right. You and, know. Um, yes, and the the depression that comes along with it, that the hopelessness that you say. Um, just feeling like, um, I mean, it takes over. Like whenever, when my pain is really out of control, I can't, I mean, I'm not a good mom, I'm not a good worker, uh, because it's just, it, it's it's kind of like substance use. It's its, its own thing. Right. And um, yeah, and it, it is uh, very depressing. You feel like uh, you're, you're not gonna get out of it or, you know, this is how it's going to be forever. Yeah. For the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I've learned, um, like, cause I've, I've had to have surgeries while in recovery <clears throat> and because of that, um, relapse in 2003 or 2011, uh, I've learned to put, uh, um, accountability, uh, people in place, you know, to help me maintain, that prescription and 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 so I can be open and honest about it. I think that's the biggest thing is is really being able to to be honest about it. Absolutely, and it comes back to that authenticity you're talking about. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, when you had your recurrence of use, mm -hmm. you obviously forgot everything that you learned the whole time you were in recovery, right? No. That, really? Yeah. Wow. Isn't that I know. Weird? Yeah, and I had people tell me like you didn't lose any of that time, and and uh, I didn't believe them for the first like ten months because I mean I was just out there, um, very depressed. Like the first time in recovery, uh, I had the pink cloud. Everything was awesome, and then this last time it was just uh, everything was slow increments of improvement and. Um, and then one day I was just happy, but I remember trying to find happiness and, um, yeah, but yeah, all that, all that stuff that I learned from, you know, 2003 to 2011. Yeah. It all came back to me. Yeah, it was all there. I grew. Still. Yeah. So I went from like a 13 year old to like a, a 20 year old, you know, maturity wise. Absolutely. And I think that's an important thing to put out there because there's, that that common myth out there that you know what you lost everything you got to start over from scratch right and the truth is you don't in fact a lot of times you know uh that recurrence is just something for you to learn from mm -hmm. yeah you know yeah and it builds and you even stronger than you were before right and i, I you know i i'm a firm believer with recurrence that uh if you can go back and like really dissect it and learn something from it, then it's it's all good. Like, it's a part of recovery to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that it happens more often than not. And that uh, sometimes it's seen as this horrible thing. And in some ways it can be because the next time we use can be the last thing we ever do. Right. You of know, course. especially now that we have so much fentanyl out there and meth is different than it used to be and all these other things going on. But mm -hmm. 
at the end of the day, I mean, uh, I don't, as long if you live through it, you learn from it. Right. You know, and I think that's the important thing for people to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm so embarrassed and I've got to come in and I've got to start from scratch, but the right. fact that you're still there, you go to meetings. Yes. Um, and when somebody goes back out and comes back, you shun them, right? <laughs> right. No. No? <laughs> no. No, but I mean, they, you, they still come in feeling, and there's no amount of like loving a person that's going to make them not feel ashamed about it. And that's, that's where, like, that is my um, passion now, is to, like, really erase that shame. Like, because if you say it's a disorder, then it's a disorder. If you say that it's out of their control, then it's out of their control. And it, I think people need to internalize that, like, with themselves. Like, if you do have a reoccurrence, it's not, I mean, you're not a bad person. Right. You have a disorder, you have a disease, and that's part of the disease is a symptom of using so yeah right we don't shun somebody with cancer when it comes exactly. out of remission right uh same thing with diabetes even though i think diabetes especially diabetes too is always a really good uh disease to kind of place alongside substance use disorder since 75 percent of the people that have diabetes have it because of a choice they made at one time right whether it was living a sedentary lifestyle eating poorly or both those things combined right that developed into a disease kind of like addiction where somebody yes a lot of people did choose to be in using but they didn't choose to have the disease that developed from that use right and and see and i kind of disagree with the whole the choosing to use like because I, I mean i look back on my life and as a young kid like like I said, did I really even have a choice? Like, I mean, the chances of me not right. were, you know, very, very slim. Yeah. I, I, I talk about my using as a, I say I didn't have a drug problem. I had a drug solution. My problem was unaddressed trauma, kind of like what you're talking yeah. about. Right. You know, but some people have the resiliency. <clears throat> some people have the support. And some of us were abused by those people that, it, that did people all that. have to support. Right. You know, so yeah. I can agree and disagree with you on that one. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to formulate that in my head, but I yeah. know there's something, I mean, there's something there that, uh, that yeah, because, um, you know, your family plays a part in it, and then it just comes to surviving. Like, if you, if from, I mean, a very young age, I was surviving. I mean, to the point where I blocked out, like, most of my childhood. And um, for me, using was a survival right you know it was how i kept alive up to a certain point sane and able to walk through exactly and, and then yeah. you learn how to fix smiles and yeah. fake okay for everybody else right yeah yeah i i definitely think we have a lot more research that probably needs to go into that yeah i do too so what's the most important thing you've done for your recovery i guess not giving up you know okay. not um just keeping at it and you know what I've recently like not letting people tell me like what my recovery is, you know, like right. uh, a few years ago, uh, I came out that I was using Kratom. Um, like I said, I've got a chronic painful disorder and uh, and I mean, I got blasted for that. Oh, you're not in recovery. I wouldn't trust a person, you know, that uses Kratom and says they're in recovery and um and it shut me down i mean it really shut me down like i thought maybe i'm not you know maybe they're right and then so i stopped using it and i um but uh 
so for me, it's not allowing other people to tell me when I'm in or out of recovery. Um, cause that happened with the, the pain medication too, you know, uh, I was ashamed of it. So yeah, that would be the most important thing that yeah. I get to define what my recovery is. I, it, when I do trainings for CPS, uh, I do the MAT mm-hmm. training side of it. So the psychopharmacology for addiction is one of the hours that, that I do. And it used to be three hours in the, the training that I used to do. Um, and I always say, you know, it's kind of funny, the difference, because uh, behavioral health, mental health, and substance use, there's so many similarities. We can use a lot of the same tools to work with uh, mm-hmm. both sides. But it's funny how there's so many people on the mental health side that are like, you know what, if you don't take your medication, you're not in recovery. Right. It's going to be worse. You're going to have a huge fall. And in recovery, they're like, if you take your medication. Yeah, that's weird. Man, you're not really better. Right. And, and the truth is, I think it's very much up to that individual. Yeah. You know, what works best for them. Right. Because nobody knows your recovery better than you. Right. You know, and if you look at the research and the statistics, I mean, suboxone, methadone, I mean, medication saves lives mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Right. And I'll throw Vivitrol in there just because I don't want to leave anybody out. And I've seen tons of people have a lot of success especially when it came to drinking with Vivitrol whenever I was uh, a therapist for uh, DWI Corp. Yeah. So I don't want to look like I'm not I'm promoting or not promoting some of them because yeah. I do think it's effective for some people. Um, I think for some people, marijuana is effective. Yeah. You know, um, there's not as much research on that. Right. Uh, so I, I will wait to see what research says. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of viable options, just like meetings, church. It depends on the person. Treatment. Right. You know, there's so many different options out there, and some are effective for some people and not for others. Right. So, is there one thing you do every day that helps you maintain your recovery? Um, for me, uh, connecting with a higher source. Okay. And it goes from God to, to the universe to whatever. Like, I don't know what it is. But, yeah, it's taken that moment to, to say thank you. Okay. Yeah, so like a gratitude thing. Yeah, and sometimes it's 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 a long moment, and sometimes it's very very brief. But yeah, I would say that uh, that's one thing that I do every day. It's a good one. Uh, what is it that keeps you from going back to those old behaviors? Um. Well. I mean, not using (laughs) helps a lot with that. (laughs) Yeah, if you don't pick up, then you don't pick up. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh, um, Connecting with a higher power, uh, my family, you know, uh, being being of service to others. Like, I really, uh, I love doing that and finding ways to do that and... um, and that's really what I believe life is all about, is how we can serve each other and help each other through this thing called life. Right. And I think that's big, you know, <clears throat> to support each other. Yeah. So they talk about the gifts of recovery. What are the things, those big gifts, those things that have really changed that you're grateful for in your life? Um, the peace. Peace. I think peace is probably the biggest thing. Yeah. Uh, financial insecurity, like not having that, um, 
actually just not worrying about having any kind of insecurity. Like I know at this point in my life, no matter what happens, it's all going to be okay. Like I'm going to get through it. Yeah, uh, I like to say things don't happen the way I want them to, but they always happen the way they're supposed to. Yeah. You know, so sometimes I may not understand what's going on, but man, if I'd have got half the things that I prayed for and wished for back yeah. in the day, I'd probably be dead. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm going through one of those things right now. <laughs> like, it, this is, My life doesn't look like I thought it was going to look, but I know that something even bigger is like rolling out. That's awesome. Yeah. So... If you could go back to yourself and talk to yourself the day before you started using, what would you say? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know that I would like change anything because I, I like who I am now. So, and it took all of that to to get me to where I am. You know. I love that answer. Yeah. I was talking about that today in the training. You know, where I had somebody in there, uh, and they were talking about regrets. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I don't have regrets. Yeah, I don't either. <clears throat> because, and, and if you stop and think about it, you know, I was like, every single thing that happened to you, whether it was something somebody did to you or something that you chose to do yourself, all of those things have combined to make you the person you are today. And if you can look in the mirror and like the person looking back mm -hmm. and like the life that you have today... You wouldn't have it if it wasn't for every Everything. single one of those things. Right. <clears throat> I mean, even the trauma, like all that, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's a hard one to grasp sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. Um, <clears throat> I took a lot of healing to be grateful for the trauma, though, just to let you know. Oh, the thoughts I had about my grandpa when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, and I was fortunate that by the time he died, all I could think was, what had to have happened to him yeah. to turn him into the person that he was because yeah. I don't think you become that evil no. without something happening in your life. Yeah. You know, um, and a lot of times it is. It's it's intergenerational, mm -hmm. you know, where we have this cycle of whether it's substance use, it's abuse. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we, we do what we're taught to do as kids. We grew up with that normalized. Right, yeah. You know. Yeah, and I can look back and, and see that now. Yeah, it was my grandfather, too. And, I, yeah, I look back, and I just wonder, like, with my dad and my uncles, you know. So, yeah. And I, I like to think that I'm breaking the generational issue with substance abuse, alcoholism, right. you know. Yeah, I've met your daughter. I mean, it seems like you have kind of broken that. Yeah, so, they're amazing. You know. They blow my mind. Yeah. Like, I, I'm... Freaked out that I haven't messed them up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they've turned out great in spite. In spite of me, yeah. But I think it's because of you. Yeah. I think it's because they see who you are today and how yeah. you live your life today. Yeah. Yeah, yes. they never knew me really using. And, I mean, when I did have a relapse, like, I didn't, or a recurrence, I didn't um, go back to the criminal lifestyle, right. you know, so... Right, so they caught bits and pieces, but not that whole yeah. blown out the way you were back before 2003. Yeah. Said. Yeah, but I'm really honest with, especially my oldest one, because she's in junior high. And I'm really honest with her about it. But I still, I mean, if I showed her a picture, if I could get a, a mug shot, I think it would blow her mind. <laughs> it probably would. Yeah. So, any closing thoughts or. Uh... Anything you want to get out there to those people who are listening to this podcast today? Um, 
I just I think recovery is like everything. Um, and I think I think for me, reoccurrence, relapse, whatever you want to call it, is part of recovery. So I mean, don't let that stop you from moving forward. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a great life. Like, well, it is a life, you know. I mean, uh, in my active use, I was just surviving. And um, today I get to live and I get to accomplish things. And I get to raise two beautiful daughters that, you know, that I'm going to be able to sit back and see them change the world in their own little way. Absolutely. I would like to give you a quick plug because I had an opportunity to uh, to be part of the recovery walk this year yes. here in Cape Girardeau. And how many years have you done that? Uh, it's four years. This year was the fourth year. Yeah. And I mean, how many people did you have? About 200 people. And I mean, you had the state rep there speaking and I mean, yes. it was, it was awesome. It was amazing. If you ever get a chance, recovery month, come visit Cape Girardeau, take part in that. While you're there, you can go check out the Mississippi river. Heck yeah. Do all yeah. kinds of fun stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, time. thanks for joining us. Thank you, David. I appreciate your time, Christy. In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, there's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can, uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week. Do you like pop culture? I do. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you, Andrew. Oh. If you enjoy movies, television, all that kind of stuff, uh, we have a lot of fun on Sif Pop Podcast, part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. So you can come check us out every week. You can listen live or just download it to your podcast feed. Every single week, Aaron breaks down the newest movies that are big in theaters, and I make funny noises. <laughs> You could probably pick one of those that you would like. You can join us every weekend live by looking at Spreaker.com slash Studio DNA, or you can find us in your podcast player of preference by searching for Sift Pop.